Hello and welcome to the Manage Self Lead Others podcast, mainly for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. This is the show to help you explore ways to become the best version of yourself at work as a manager. In each episode, you'll hear from some of the brightest business minds on the planet who share your passion to elevate and transform team culture. They share insights in self-leadership and leading others. Together, we can make workplace culture better. Are you ready? Because it's time to manage self, lead others. graduate qualifications in business, public sector management and town planning, and having held CEO roles in growth area local government for over two decades, David Keenan is Chief Executive Officer at Mount Isa City Council. In Australia, local government entities are referred to as councils, what listeners in other parts of the world might call counties. David was Chair of Economic Development Australia for Economic Development Practitioners and was Vice President of the Local Government Managers Association Queensland. David has led the response to natural disasters, including three floods and two bushfires, many accomplishments at numerous councils, firstly in the state of Victoria, then in the state of Queensland. David Keenan is a values-driven leader, keen to see those around him succeed. Integrity, honesty, enthusiasm and dedication are values that drive David, as well as making a difference in the community. Welcome, David Keenan. Thanks very much, Nina. And I just want to say, looking at your CV, your bio, you've been to, you've, you've headed so many local government organisations and achieved so much. I'm just in awe. Oh well, it's it's not uncommon for a CEO to to move around a bit in different local government authorities. Um, you, I, I'm of the belief that you can stay too long in one place. So, and you need to keep moving around to get that variation in all your different experiences that come through as well. Well, just in a nutshell, you've uh, you've created jobs. You've. Uh, uh, progressed uh, the dairy sector, you've looked at tourism, you've uh, facilitated the University of Ballarat Technology Park. I mean, we'll start talking about some of these in a second, but um, you've you've, uh, fostered a medical precinct uh, plan, you've uh, got a maritime museum up and running. I mean, where do you want to start? Oh, I guess I guess each each area has its own different priorities. So when I when I worked in Warrnambool, uh, that was very much in the in the dairy sector and the tourism sector. Warrnambool's located about three hours from Melbourne, so the important thing is trying to get more people to stay more than one night, and that way you stimulate the local economy through there. And that's why we developed a nighttime attraction down there. That was really important with the dairy industry. One of the biggest exports out of Victoria is actually uh, milk powder. People don't realise that, but um, that predominantly goes into Southeast Asia and China. So trying to support uh, the dairy sector down there through the the extension of three-phase power into a whole lot of different um, dairy facilities was really important at the time, as was supporting getting council to do everything they could to support uh, midfield meats down there, which was a very large uh, meat processor employing about 1,000 people. 
So, so as the CEO of a local government is involved in those sort of initiatives, I would have thought you were just doing council council work. And for everybody uh, who's listening from overseas, in Australia, local government uh, entities are called councils and other countries, they call them counties or municipalities. Yeah. So uh, your your interest is in the wider community. I, I, I just find that so amazing that your reach is so, so broad. I think I think it's all about partnerships. So it's partnerships into the community. It's partnerships into business. It's partnerships with universities and TAFEs as well. Yeah. So um, we need to see local businesses succeed to have a good local economy, to attract people into the region and retain them into the region. So working in partnership is, is what's required from a local government perspective. Often what you can do, and I did a bit of this when I was in uh, Southern Downs at Warwick, is work with existing businesses to expand what they can do. Sometimes they don't have the time to actually fill in a funding application or understand how they can contribute to the the economy. But whether you're a CEO, director or a manager of economic development, to be able to sit down and talk with those businesses and say, hey, did you realise you can do this, Um, opens up a whole lot of doors and again improves the local economy. Lovely. Well, you, you've uh, you've moved around the southern state of Australia called Victoria, and now you're in a, a mining town in the centre of uh, of Queensland called Mount Isa, which I visited a couple of weeks ago to deliver some time management training. And it's not my first time there, and it's quite an amazing area. It's uh, in the Guinness Book of World Records. It's the biggest city in the world with um, forty three thousand square kilometres of land. With for twenty four thousand people living there, and it's bigger than the country of Switzerland. <laughs> it, 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 Nina, it is a big municipality. I still like that word municipality. Right. Um, it is a good one. It goes all the way to the Northern Territory border um, and goes way up north as well. We've got some very large stations out here, and we've obviously got the mining sector here as well, which is doing very well at this point. In fact, there's a big shortage there, as as you probably know, of employees. And uh, it's very competitive, the marketplace now, uh, for people with mining experience, as well as senior engineers as well. Uh, but lead, zinc and copper uh, are the three things that are coming through there. There's also a huge amount of interest in the phosphate industry as well. I see. So uh, phosphate is for uh, for the agriculture? Yes, yeah. there's a number yeah. of businesses looking at um, having a... Um, a uh, circular economy on that about actually doing the soil conditioning through the phosphate, mm. uh, but also um, getting larger amounts of cattle in to go in and feed off the improved soil conditions through better pasture, and then creating that complete link in that regard. Again, adding more value to the local economy um, in the future, which is fantastic. Now, when we spoke, uh, when I was in Mount Isa, you were on your way to deliver at a local government conference because I believe you were chair of Economic uh, Development Australia, the inaugural chair, and now you're vice president of the Local Government Managers Association. I I finished up as vice president probably about three or four months ago as part of the normal cycle of things. But I went to speak, I got invited to speak at an LGMA, Local Government Managers Australia, Queensland branch conference. Right. And within that, um, I got to speak with a chap called Brett Haywood from QUT. Um, And what we spoke about there were the different types of management styles that can be used. What Brett spoke about was whether 
he, he didn't necessarily believe that transformational leadership um, actually sustained good leadership over a long period of time. I, I, I put the argument down probably more around transactional uh, leadership, but my leadership style is very much based on values and yes. behaviours and demonstrating those in the workplace. So well, rather than having you, the... Yeah, I was going to say, before we move into what values leadership is, can you succinctly describe the difference between transformational and transactional? Um, transformational is really where you have... Um, a very charismatic person that comes into the organisation, oh, wow. like a Richard Branson, uh, that comes in and that he creates followers, he or she creates followers that are enthused um, and that are built up on a, and encouraged on very much a big vision that's going very quickly and all of that imprimatur and momentum follows people through that process. Transactional is a bit different. It looks at leadership through processes and procedures and is far more cautious in how it moves ahead. It also probably puts more responsibility on the senior management rather than the organisation as a whole. Now, and but you you follow a values-based approach, so please tell us about that. Values are really important. Um, it's up to me as a CEO uh, to demonstrate values within the workplace, to actually encourage the employees to use those values in the workplace Make sure those values are adopted by not just the organisation, uh, but the councillors as well, so those values can be put in place. With each set of values, there is an expected behaviour list that comes through about how to demonstrate those values in the organisation. Now, of course, it comes back to me, my second-level staff and my third-level staff to be the exemplars of those values in everything we do. So very much values-based leadership is, goes back to what we started with right at the very beginning. Right. So I believe you've uh, created a, a, a three values approach at Mount Isa. Is that right? So there's a couple of things. I, I use acronyms or abbreviations, and I do that because we, we still have some staff that have challenges with reading and writing, uh, probably more so in the outdoor staff than the indoor staff. So it's important to have things that people can recognise very quickly and easily. So here at Mount Isa, we have three values of integrity, service, and accountability. And put simply, that's I-S-A. So it's Isa. And some of the guys on the trucks have said to me, David, I can even remember that. That's super. I know where it is. That's you know, fabulous. So how, how do you then encourage people to, uh, uh, to express, what is it, integrity, uh, service, service and, accountability. and accountability? Yeah, so how do you get them to uh, express that? So they do that. I do that with my weekly messages that I send out to staff highlighting exactly where integrity, service and accountability have occurred in the workplace and well done to the staff that have managed to do that. Oh. Um, I also do that through annual awards where we recognise people who have demonstrated the values, people and teams inside and outside who have best demonstrated the values to everyone else within the organisation. And again, these are, these are not the values that um, are put up in any bright lights or anything. They are there to simply be uh, recognised and repeated in everything that we do over and over again. And certainly at Southern Downs Regional Council, uh, we had the values of success, determination, resilience and commitment, which again was the abbreviation for the council, SDRC. 
That's great. Now, tell us more about the awards ceremony because um, that must be something that people look forward to and it's a a big in-person event, is it? You get everybody together? We do that as part of the Christmas party and what we do is combine a few things. So within that, we have an award for the best uh, indoor team and indoor individual, then outdoor team and outdoor individual. They're self-nominated, so they're nominated by their peers. Everyone is nominated by their peers. So there really isn't, it's not about me going around or my second level staff going around and saying, these are the people we should put up. It is purely done by our peers. Now, at the Christmas party, we do the recognition of values and expected behaviours. We recognise long service and we recognise every individual that has got a qualification of any description during the last 12 months so whether that be a Cert 3 or a Cert 4 at TAFE, which helps help get along with different tickets, or whether that be a Masters um, at a university, they're all brought in and we reward people as we go through from there as well. So you obviously uh, cultivate uh, lifelong learning to people to uh, continue to uh, get qualifications. Yes, Um we're very overt about that. Now, we, we compete against the mines in some ways here because the mines um, here employ a lot of truck drivers. So sometimes if I go out and get people further educated, it is at my own risk because they will be um, they will be uh, very attractive to the mines. But I'm, I guess I'm a bit different in how I operate. Um, I, I don't necessarily think that I need everyone to work here for a super long period of time. If I get a great yield out of people for over a two-year period and I help them move on to another step at another organisation, I'm really happy if I can get them to add value significantly over a condensed period of time. You're, you're actually um, bringing up a, a concept that um, that I came across, oh, at least uh, 15 years ago, this idea that um, the, it's the employer's responsibility to make sure that whoever works for them has a CV that enables them to progress and get their next job with their next organisation. And so you have to foster their learning and their growth and their capability so that they can demonstrate if they when they go for another job outside of this organisation that they, they, they're marketable, that they have a market-oriented CV that you know, it shows that they've progressed within the role. And it's the employer's responsibility because we don't have life jobs, love jobs for life anymore. So the employer has to make sure that they really um, encourage the growth of the people that they employ while they're with them. Does that make sense? Fantastic. And that's exactly where we're coming from. So again, we know that where we are in Australia, here at Mount Isa, we're in a remote area. It's always going to be a challenge to get people to come in here. If we can support them as much as possible, and let's say they're here for two years, and they turn around and achieve great things in two years and go on to bigger and better things, that's great, especially if they also turn around and say to their friends, family or peers, hey, you should go and work at Mount Isa for a couple of years because it's a corker of a place and they'll support you all the way through uh, and it'll be a stepping stone, just as you said, Nina, to go on to bigger and brighter things. Now, if they stay and have a family, all the better, but if if they're on the move and upwardly mobile, then that's okay as well. All all we want to do is get the best we possibly can out of our employees. We we recently um, introduced a sporting policy where what we will do 
as a council is pay, make a contribution to the fees for each sporting club that our staff get involved in. There's a few reasons for doing that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, one, obviously physical fitness. Two, mental fitness. Three, it introduces people to a new network of people or it allows them to bring their young people into sports, so their children. Five, it means that they will no doubt be forced to become a volunteer, either on the committee or as a coach. So it's offering that whole aspect and hopefully it means that we can add value to us being, I don't like these words that much, but us being an employer of choice. Obviously, by encouraging people to participate in local sporting associations and to volunteer for the committee means that you're, in some respects, uh, promoting their their ability as leaders you know, within the community. That's a I, wonderful I, I, thing. I would agree with that. So if we can get them involved in the local community, if we can get them turning up, and I mean, obviously, Someone turning up at Mount Isa tomorrow is looking for a network to be involved in, someone to go and have a cup of coffee with after a game, uh, whether it be soccer, whether it be AFL, NRL, any of those sorts of things. They're what we're trying to aim to do. So a person just doesn't feel that they're coming to a place and they're isolated and they're, they're by themselves. It's about bringing them out into the community and getting involved. Now, is there anything uh, unique about Mount Isa and managing the council at Mount Isa uh, compared to, like you've been on the coast, you were at Tweed Heads, which is on the Gold Coast of Queensland, which is quite an urban uh, centre. Um, what what have you found has been the differences working in outback Australia? Um, there are some amazing places here that you would never see in uh, in other parts of Australia. Uh, the, the stars are incredible. Um, we recently had the, the largest rodeo in the Southern Hemisphere here, which turns the town up or the city upside down uh, with the number of people that come in. And they did a superb job organising that. So that is something that most people turn around and say, I want to go to Mount Isa once just to see that rodeo. Right. The other one is the, the, other one is the, the landscape it is very hard. But in other places where there is water, it is unbelievable whether you go up to Adele's Grove, which is just near the, the council boundary, that, that is sensational through that area as well. Um, going out and seeing some of the other events that come into uh, Mount Isa, whether it be multicultural festivals, because remember, we have a huge amount of cultural diversity here, given all the people that work in the mines come from all different parts of the world and have been doing so for almost 100 years. So. Well- it, it really is quite different. And Mount Isa is is situated on the traditional lands of the Kalkadoon people. And I yes. know it at other locations you've fostered Indigenous reconciliation. So that's obvious. Could be a challenge where you are. What what are you doing for in, Indigenous re- reconciliation where in, in Mount Isa? So we're setting up a. We already have had uh, one meeting of the reconciliation action plan. Um, probably I've got at least 20 or 30 staff that are Indigenous and there may be more that I'm unaware of. Um, where So a number of those staff are on the Reconciliation Action Committee. 
Um, we're supporting one staff member uh, to do the um, Indigenous Marathon through Robert D. Costella at the moment. Now, unfortunately, he's meant to have been running in New York uh, in the marathon there, but obviously COVID's held that up. Uh, but we've been supporting him and he will run in a 24-hour marathon in uh, Alice Springs later this year. Um, he is also learning about leadership and doing formal qualifications in leadership as well. Uh, we're also in the process of doing an Indigenous employment plan, which will bring more Indigenous people into the organisation. And the last bit is we're looking at actually having an um, Indigenous cultural officer based here at Council as well. So that, that's looking pretty good. Fabulous, fabulous. So that really fosters uh, intercultural diversity and marvellous. Um, I, I believe if if people do come to Mount Isa uh, as a tourist, you know, there's lots of four-wheel drive places to go like Lawn Hill or, or Bujamala uh, yep. in the Aboriginal term. Um, that's like a gorge with an oasis. Is that right? That's correct. And that's there's another one up there, as I say, near Adele's Grove. Uh, where you can take a um, take a canoe and paddle up and then park yourself under a waterfall um, and enjoy just the the serenity of the area, uh, which is just absolutely magnificent. There's a few freshwater crocodiles up there, but they're not very big, uh, so you should be able to get through those ones without a doubt. So they're not um, people eaters. <laughs> they're not they're not people eaters. Um, I guess the the other things here, the four-wheel drive, if you're into four-wheel driving, it's magnificent. We have uh, Lake Mundara here as well, which is a huge, um, huge reservoir of water, which is nearby, uh, and people use that very proactively on the weekend. I guess what we're doing at the moment is we're going through a renewal of the township and the city areas, and we're building that very much at the moment. Uh, yesterday, we... Um, we opened the swimming pool, uh, which has now got solar heating on these huge shade structures and that, uh, sorry, solar energy production. So that will go back into the pool to heat the pool, but it doesn't often get very cold. Um, at the moment, we're trying to improve the amenity of the town centre because, again, that's about supporting businesses and what we spoke about before. So we're looking at doing that. Um, in the future, there's some things that we're looking at, such as a motorsports facility here, and we're just going to the next step on that one. Um, and we'll also try and create some more concerts and cultural events here in the future. Oh, right. What uh, what uh, concerts have you uh, supported in the past? Uh, so we had the opera come out here around about uh, three, three and a half, four months ago. So <laughs> opera in the Outback, which was fantastic. Um, as part of the um, as part of the rodeo, we had Lee Koenigan here, and we also had Shepherd, a band out of Brisbane. They also played here as well. We're still scheduled to have Daryl Braithwaite play. Probably he's early a very next famous year. Australian performer. <laughs> very famous, sings that horses song. Yeah. Um, so he will probably draw a very substantial crowd out here as well. So all of these come into play. We're also doing a lot of planning for. Uh, 100 years of Mount Isa as a city, which occurs in 2023. Oh. I know the mayor is very keen to get a member of the royal family to come along, uh, which would be really good. And we're also obviously trying to get the governor general to come along um, and the governor, which will be uh, very important. And we're trying to get some of the stars of Mount Isa to return. There's one there called Greg Norman, who was born here. It'd be nice to see if we can. Famous Greg golfer. Famous golfer. He's from um, Mount Isa. Yes, he is. Who else uh, is from Mount Isa? <laughs> uh, De Deborah Mailman, who is a Indigenous a very famous actress. Australian actress, yes. Um, so it's about 
bringing a number of these people back. It's about trying to create a whole. So we have a 100-year advisory committee working on that at the moment. Oh, and they're going to try and stagger events over 2023 to make sure that we get uh, as much as we can out of 100 years of Mount Isa. Uh, The challenge for us in the future will be there are more and more jobs being created in this region. Uh, We're seeing a huge amount of growth. There's probably $3 billion worth of investment in relation to renewable energy that will occur over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, That will see more and more jobs, albeit uh, some of those jobs with uh, renewable energy will be, uh, there'll be large construction, but then it'll be uh, dropping down to smaller numbers that come through as well. Well, that's very interesting. Which specific renewable energy? Are we talking wind, sun, what else? All of those, Nina. We're talking batteries. We're talking hydrogen. uh, We're talking solar. We're talking wind. And I imagine at some stage we'll also start talking about pumped hydro because there is enough water around here to actually um, justify going down that path. Our advantage is there's still a lot of capacity left within the transmission lines And our other capacity uh, exists with a project called Copper String as well that's looking at putting a large transmission line from Townsville to Mount Isa. Oh, I see. I see. Yes, because the state of Queensland is, oh, it's a very large state. It's it's like almost half of the East Coast. So uh, I don't know what percentage, maybe 20% of the land size of Australia, is it? Yeah, it'd be at least that. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, from here to Mount, uh, here to Townsville is around about a two-day drive yeah. um, if you're doing it safely. So it is a long way. It is interesting to think, though, that as a mining as a mining city in the future, there's going to be a huge presence of renewables. So that'll be balancing out uh, mining against renewable energies and hopefully creating a sustainable city in the longer term. Uh, it's just amazing to to hear that um, you know our our remote regions are so um, full of uh, progress and uh, bright ideas. It makes uh, you know makes makes us realise that uh, smart smart leadership can happen anywhere, uh, even oh, especially in remote regions. Because I suppose you're, you're uh, you've you've kind of got no fewer um, limits on what you can do. So if a bright idea comes, you can you can express it. Innovation thrives in remote and regional areas where people are people have obstacles that they need to overcome and they sit and they think and they work out how to do those. And they also usually do that in a collaborative manner. So they bring in the thought processes from other people to overcome those obstacles, which is really good, uh, which means innovation thrives in these areas. Just before we finish our conversation, for any people manager working in local government anywhere, how could they set their sights on becoming the CEO of a, of a regional or city council? What experiences, what qualifications would you recommend? Uh, the qualifications are really important. You've got to decide whether you want to be an expert or you want to be a manager. Two different things. One, if you want to be an, if you want to be an expert in a specific area in local government, there'll probably be a ceiling that you hit where you probably can't go any further. If you want to be a manager in local government, then you must, I would argue, need to do three things. One, you need to effectively manage people. Two, you need to effectively manage budgets. And three, you need to be able to develop those people around you through appropriate delegation. 
And that's sometimes the hardest thing for people, which is letting go through that delegation process. As far as qualifications go, again, if you're going to be a specialist, you know that your ultimate one would be a PhD or something similar to that. If you're actually going to be a CEO, there are many CEOs that have got master MBAs or masters of business. I believe they're very appropriate. Uh, again, I mentioned the Institute of Company Directors course, which is run in Australia, and I think that that is almost a non-negotiable. You need to do that one as well. Um, I think there's always options for you to consider uh, further study. Uh, I know that some people head over to Harvard and other universities like that, um, and they, they've told me that they bring back important information when they go over there for a period of three or four weeks, and it changes how their leadership goes. I, I myself haven't done that. Um, but I think in the end, you've got to be able to get on with people and you've got to be able to listen and you've got to be able to follow up and respond to all those people and so make sure that um, you go back and hopefully rectify their problems because local government is the one area where you can really change people's lives by actually doing things that are tangible and making sure they happen within defined timeframes. Well, David, thanks for explaining all of that and just just giving us some insight into your role as CEO. It's been fascinating. So thank you for your time today and good luck for the future. No, thank you, Nina. Really appreciate it. And maybe I can be there for that 100-year celebration of the founding of Mount Isa. That'd be wonderful. That'd be super. (laughs) You're more than welcome. This episode, we've been speaking with David Keenan on the Manage Self, Lead Others podcast for experienced and aspiring people managers. I'm your host, Nina Sunday. If you like this podcast, go and tell a friend. Everyone I meet who listens to this show say they found it because someone told them it's a good show to listen to. And come back every week, we interview people who share insights on how to elevate and transform team culture. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter at Nina Sunday. Thank you for listening. Until next time, ciao for now. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.